Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Talbot, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareerMoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Career Move Secrets and today's guest is Lucy Standing. Lucy is the founder of Brave Starts and the vice chair of the Association for Business Psychology. Hi Lucy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you in, and uh, very glad to be here. Where do, where do you find yourself today? Whereabouts do you live? Um, I'm in southwest London in Barnes. Oh, very nice, yeah. And, uh, you, are you in your sort of lockdown or are you going into the city very much? What's happening? I work from home anyway. Mm. Um, I tend to go into the city once a week to meet with the rest of the team. But yeah. other than that, I'm a home worker. Yeah. And, and, and is everybody else staying in the house most of the time or are, are, are others uh, venturing into the city? Um, in terms of my house, I've got far too many people in it and I absolutely can't wait for my kids to go back to school. Please, God, let everything be okay next week and they all go back to school. Mm. Um, and my husband is kicking around the house too, which is actually kind of infuriating. I'm definitely used to having this place all to myself. Um, so I'd rather he go back to, back to work as well. Um, in, in terms of people going up to the city, I mean, for the, for the moment, I'm not, I'm not going in. So I, I couldn't tell you, but people I do know who are going in are telling me it's much, much quieter. Very, yes. very, very few people on the trains compared to what would be typical. Yeah, that's why I think we're all staying in our little local areas if we can, aren't we? And, and, and venturing out there, but not necessarily going to the, the great big, the big cities where you have to use public transport and, and you know, rub shoulders with, with everyone. So yeah, but, but uh, the sooner we can get back to that, the better. Um, Lucy, we did a little bit, of, we had a little check yesterday, didn't we, to, to sort of um, we did, yeah. get sorted for this. So I know a bit about you, but of course my, uh, my audience does not. Could you give us your career history, please? Absolutely. Um, I, I've become a, I became a psychologist mainly because I really loved my degree and left my degree without the intention of doing a master's, went to go and become a headhunter and I hated it. So it was, it was hate that drove me to go back and do a master's. Um, and from that point on, I've, I would say I've been a psychologist. I did my master's project for an investment bank. I got offered a job in graduate recruitment, eventually became the head of graduate recruitment. Um, and then I went to go on and become global head recruitment for a strategy consulting firm. 
Um, from there, I went to a specialist boutique, um, occupational psychology practice called Pern Candola. Um, I've been using them to design a lot of my assessment processes and liked what I saw. So I thought I'll go and join that company. Mm. So I did that for a number of years, but consulting and young families do not mix well. And I was traveling away from my home four or five days a week, which let me tell you, when you're breastfeeding is a real challenge. So <laughs> I, I decided to go freelance and, um, throughout my my freelancing career I started to pick up volunteering work that's how I got involved with the Association for Business Psychology started out as their head of training and I'm now the vice chair which is absolutely fantastic I really enjoy having a a steer if you like in how the how the profession develops excellent and you're and you've also got your other your other sort of volunteering piece around brave starts as well I hear yeah so I think it's, it's amazing how some people I think are driven to do things that they really enjoy because they love them, they're passionate about them. Um, Brave Starts was almost a journey of frustration. I decided to go and do some career coaching work because I've always been fascinated in how people age and how values change as we get older. And I have to say, I was really quite disappointed with the career coaching courses that I went on. I found they lacked a huge amount of the practical element that most people need. So there was a lot of sort of soul searching type of work, which you know, it's all well and good. And I, you know, I, I enjoy a bit of navel gazing as much as the next person, but it wasn't practical or useful enough mm. for me. So I thought rather than complain about it, I'll just do something about it. So Brave Starts is really the, should we, should we say the externalization of my frustration? Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll touch on that again, but <laughs> coming back to your, uh, your, your psychology background, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on and, and, and have somebody from that background is I've used um, psychometric tools and behavioral tools in my recruitment process for a number of years. And I've used a number of different ones. And I've had clients who also use that as part of their process. Um, and, and I think these days, there's a, there's a relatively good chance if you're senior that you're going to do one at some stage in your career, you might actually have um, a test in your next sort of uh, recruitment piece where you you're looking to um, to join a company that might be one of the things that they do and and I often wonder whether well most people I speak to the candidates wonder why we're doing it and what's the value and how it works and all of that sort of stuff um, and I thought you know rather than me trying um, uh, explain it in a uh, in a sort of layman's terms I would get somebody who actually knew what they were talking about so you've obviously you've obviously um you're more in touch with that sphere than i am um are you finding that uh, that people and companies are using psychometric tools and behavioral tools quite a lot and if so why are they using them um the answer is yes and you know if you ask me where is the trend where is the trend of travel going to go mm. it is going to lead more and more in that direction mm. um the main reason for it is cost efficiency um the it's the big issue for most organizations is they need to be able to provide an assessment process that is fair and they need to be able to demonstrate evidence if they're going to be challenged about their assessment processes that what they're doing is fair and provides equality of opportunity mm. and because these psychometrics or personality questionnaires um, are developed fairly rigorously and I have to say some are much, much better than others mm. um, because they're developed quite rigorously. It is possible for people developing these tests to ensure um, that actually there is equality of opportunity, that people are not being adversely impacted by the tests that they are undertaking. And for the employer, 
Well, it's a quick win. You give everyone the same test. It's easy to administer because you can do it online. So it saves all of the travel costs, the, the logistics of people having to come in for an interview. Um, so it takes a number of those quite key criteria. In terms of the tests themselves adding a huge amount of value to the process, um, the more cognitive-based tests, i.e. the ones that are assessing your ability, are stronger predictors of how people will perform in the future. Mm. Um, personality tests tend not to be strong predictors of how people will perform. And the main argument for using them is because personality is arguably speaking helpful for the person undertaking those tests, i.e. If I, if I go through a test and I understand from that test, you know what, really I'm, I'm not a big fan and I'm not a lover of detail. I'm not really a huge lover of, um, you know, crossing, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. And the test really brings that out very clearly to me, but the role itself has got huge elements of that type of, mm. you know, that element of that task. Um, it's a way for the organization to be able to kind of slightly push back to that person and say, you say you hate doing this sort of stuff, but actually that's a large proportion of what the job involves. Is that, is that really what you're signing up for? So that, that would be the value for it, but not really any other value. Uh, and where should it happen in, in the recruitment process? Because I've got to say, I've had clients in the past and I found this really frustrating where, you know, even for relatively senior hires, they've said our process is that everybody does a psychometric test before they meet anyone. And my yeah. argument was, well, crikey, you know, nobody's bought, you know, most of the people I deal with are passive uh, as a headhunter. They're passive candidates. They're not, they're not desperate to make a move. Uh, I, I sort of find them. And if in, in, in essence, I sell them an opportunity, which I think is going to be um, a win for them, you know, a, a step up, a good opportunity for them to, to grow their career. So they, they often go into that process. It's a, it's a two-way conversation. It's actually, you know, that there isn't a particular uh, situation where the, the client or the employer has the upper hand, actually it's, it's a very equal balance situation. And I always say, meet first, get to know each other, see if you like each other on a human level, and then we can move to those sorts of things. So, you know, I, I fought back in that situation. I often use it, say, midway through the recruitment process, maybe between first and second interview or even after second interview before offer. Where, where do you see it has benefit? I think it entirely depends on the organisation. Um, I mean, one of the things that you and I touched on yesterday is if you're an organization like a Google, um, when I used to work at graduate recruitment, it was for JP Morgan. Um, and we used to get 10,000 applications for just over 150 places. Yep. So I could not in any reasonable capacity say to the managing directors of a business, give up five weeks of your time to interview hundreds of graduates and then we'll introduce a fair, standardized process test um, that actually could eliminate a much larger proportion of them. Mm. Um, so I think it depends on the level that you're recruiting for, the organization, how many applications you're getting. It's so there isn't really a one-size-fits-all answer to that. Um, I mean, I, I, would say, I would say, honestly, if, if the job itself, if there's a really strong link between how you perform in a test and how you perform in the job, then I would say introduce the test as early as you can. Mm. Um, if there's no strong link, i.e. if what you're doing is more of a personality measure, and if that person, then I, then I would say that could probably come later on in the process because then you're, you're giving some value to the person that you're interviewing. 
because doing these tests and going through interviews and going through someone's personality is quite a rewarding process, but it's incredibly time consuming. Um, and I think organisations only want to invest that time in the candidates that they really feel strongly that they want to develop a close and strong relationship with. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. When, when it's mass recruitment and, and graduate level is a, is a really good example where you've got too many people to choose from, you need to whittle it down, that, that yeah. you want a barrier. Don't you? You yeah. want a, you want um, something that uh, that people have to step over in order to get there. That that's fine. I think in more senior situations where actually, um, you know, the candidate has a little bit more um, power in the situation, and and you're trying to attract them, um, you want less barriers to entry. Uh, so that makes sense. I guess today we're in a situation where actually, you know, there are many more candidates chasing many fewer jobs. So actually, we're probably going to see more of this type of stuff. Um, I think we pe- will. Yeah, where people have to sort of see whether they they have the the profile that that you know meets the criteria. And and I, and I I agree with you as well about the the sort of you know the the cognitive testing piece because quite quite often you'll have a personality test and a cognitive test, won't you? As as, as two parts of the same piece. And yeah. a lot of my clients will use the results from both, and then maybe something like a case study thereafter to help inform their decision. But I don't think. It's not as cut and dry as if you don't hit this, you know, particular number, you're you're not a good candidate. I think it's in in my situations, it's always been more of a an aid to decision rather than a decision maker. Is that is that how you see it as well? In an ideal world, that's how it should be. Mm. Um, I think again, if I if I take an example of say something like air traffic controlling, um, mm. air traffic controlling is one of those sorts of jobs where there really is a high dependency on your ability to be able to keep in mind several pieces of information at the same time, calculate where a plane's going to be at any one time, what's the trajectory and so on and so forth. That's quite a specific cognitive skill set. For something like that, you'd probably want to be introducing these sorts of tests way up front um, and making sure that that's the kind of the first port of call. I think I think because they're quick, I think because they're standardized, because they're fair, because they're relatively um, easy to administer, I think a lot of companies fall into the trap of using them for all of those reasons instead of using them because they actually tell you an awful lot about how that person's going to do in the job. My disappointment with organizations is they, they don't do any validation work. You know, they use them because it's easy, but yeah. I don't see any of them doing any longitudinal research you know, following up, making sure that the, t- the people who perform best in those tests, are they the people who perform best in the job three, four years down the line? I do not see many organizations doing no, that. No, they, they do that in reverse. In, in my experience, you, you know, one of the things that we've done before as a, a, and my, my sort of search business is called Mindset Search. And, and you know, I guess you, you might read into that, that, that uh, we look at people's uh, um, yeah, their, 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 their sort of overall view of the world is part of the, my, my assessment piece and trying to get, a, get to the essence of what people are about. Um, and partly that's through the test and partly that's through, through you know, my own personal view of what their, their uh, outward view is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that one of the things we might do is say, take uh, a high performer in a team and we would test that person to profile them to see what they're like. And there's an, there's there's then a, a sort of um, perhaps even a desire to copycat, you know, identikit that person, particularly in a sales environment. They often, you know, sales is one of these imponderables, isn't it? Why is this person a good salesperson? 
well, it's because they have all these these uh, abilities and behaviors. And, and if you can model them and you could get 10 guys like that, then I'd have a really amazing business. Of course, it's not that simple. Um, but we, we have gone down that route before of, of you know creating a benchmark profile and then looking at whether other people who are then tested match similar to that profile. But you know, as you say, I've never heard of, of a situation where they've they've done it more elaborately than that. It, that tends to be the model, and actually, that brings you on to why you know why is recruitment the way it is. What you often find is that um, we as recruiters, and indeed the clients that employers, want people with a proven track record in a particular role in a particular industry doing something very similar before, which creates these sort of linear careers. Um, and these sort of barriers to entry around certain roles, because the, you know the idea that past behaviour is the best uh, predictor of future behaviour. You say, well, this guy was very good as a general manager within the pharmaceutical industry because he knows the industry, he knows you know some of the product line, he knows some of the clients, he understands you know all of those things. That makes him ideal for this next job, which is the same job but just bigger. And that tends to be how recruitment works more often than not. Yeah. But interestingly enough, you know, if you look at what factors most drive why people are wanting to make a change, mm. actually the, the biggest reason is because people want to learn new things. Yes. Um, and, you know, if I look at my work with Brave Starts, for example, a lot of the time people aren't coming to me because they're so desperate with a very, very clear idea of what they want to do next. The majority of the time the only thing they know is that they're just tired. They're just a bit tired and a bit bored of their current role. Yes. So asking them to do more of the same doesn't actually appeal to people's motivations. In, in, in actual fact, if you're sort of saying to people, what is it that you're interested in? I want new opportunities to learn, to grow, develop, and so on and so forth. Then actually the stronger argument should be to say, well, recruit people into those roles who haven't done them previously. Um, because actually so many more skills are transferable than we give them credit for. Um, I mean, for example, there are about 34,000 jobs in the world, but there's only about 30 different skills um, that you might need to assess people for. And those skills are completely transferable. Um, You know, for example, the factor that most predicts whether or not a doctor is going to be rated a good doctor is their bedside manner. It's not their knowledge or competence, it's their bedside manner. The factor that most are set rates whether or not an accountant is a good accountant is a relationship they build with their clients, exactly mm. the same skill set. Likewise, lawyers, the ones mm. who can build empathy with their clients and relate to them, best lawyers, it's exactly mm. the same skill set. You know, and the skill itself is much harder to build. You know, I can teach you the rules of tennis, that's a five minute exercise. I can explain it. Don't out, hit outside of these boxes. That doesn't make you an expert. You know, being a tennis player, a very good one, takes years and years and years. So these skills around listening, empathy, relationship building, and so on and so forth, much, much harder to train, um, but relatively easy to transfer. You've worked in a completely different industry, completely different sector, but you're a brilliant salesperson over there. Go and do it in a completely different environment, in a completely different sector where you may have zero experience. Because actually their drive to learn would be quite, you could, you could put more faith in their drive to learn and certainly in the transferability of skills than you can in their previous, you know, have you worked in the right type of sector in the past? Yeah, there's something that I, I've tried, I've, I've lived by the slogan a little bit you, and, and I've said to others, try and hire for attitude rather than aptitude in a Completely. way. Because, because yeah. attitude, like you say, particularly around all the things that make you 
a better person as you get a better employer or, or a more senior person or, or often the soft skills as you as you point out it's the relationship building it's how you interact with other people most of that comes down to your attitude i think you're um, absolutely right attitude and, to and, life and yeah and attitudes change over time they you do know, so yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean if it, i'd liken them if you like to you know values you know people's values when they're in their 20s tend to be things like they're driven more around need because in your early 20s you don't have anything so the main the main driver around what you're trying to get at that point is around your acquisition needs. I need money, I need a house, I need reputation, I need status. So you're driven to meet all of those needs. When you get to say something like your 40s or 50s, more senior level, probably the sort of level that you're dealing with, people are more driven around different needs. So mm. their drive to learn becomes more important. Their drive to give back, to develop a legacy, to feel they're helping other people, mm. doing a job that makes them feel they're, you know, they've got a sense of purpose. These are the sorts of things that become much more important. So when you're looking at sectors like social work, NHS, caring, you know, these are the sorts of areas that arguably speaking, should be much more based on attitude and values-driven recruitment processes. Mm. What do, you, do you think people should have multi-careers, you know, oh as opposed God, to the absolutely. linear? I've tended to think, you know, you get stuck in a, in a particular environment for a very long time. It, it makes you jaded, doesn't it? Unless you've got a particularly great attitude to life, you know, Groundhog Day can be sapping, can't it? Whereas the new... Yeah. The new really gets you going, particularly as you as you as you get older. And you're you're obviously dealing with people, you know, through this brave start piece where people are they've got the itch they need to scratch. They they believe they need something underlying, whether it's a, like you say, most likely a drive that says, I don't like what I'm doing anymore, pushes mm. you towards wanting to do something new. And I think right now there's probably um, you know, a real uh, point of intersection for people, you know, in the road where they're thinking my industry is not going to recover from COVID, you know, or, you know, hospitality, airlines, whatever. It's shrinking. Where it's previously was growing and that's more opportunity for me, it's shrinking and I might get left behind. I need to go a new new way. Um, And I think we'll, we'll find from this period that there are loads of new businesses get set up will be one of the things that certainly we will. happens. Uh, yeah. But also uh, as, as happened in 2008 was when I set my business up, it's just, you know, it's, it's, there's a bit of necessity in there being the mother of invention, isn't it? That's how it, how yeah. it works. Um, but I think also a lot of people will, will look towards transferring the skills that they do have and the experiences that they do have into a new industry. Um, and, and, and I guess, part of what you're doing around brave Stops is a bit is a bit like that trying to help people it's it's the thinking piece isn't it in the main i think it's it's the not knowing you know having an inkling that you want to change is one thing knowing which direction to run in is is another yeah i agree how do they find that out um the best way to find out is to try it because it, you know i see far too much and again this comes back to my frustration with the career coaching industry um, I see far too much emphasis on think of a job you love. What are your passions? <laughs> and for for so many people, they've got absolutely no idea. Um, mm. And it's a ridiculously high bar. That's like saying go and meet, you know, go and fall in love with the first person that you see and marry them. You think, well, uh, no. The process of deciding who you're going to marry is probably a process of well, I would never have selected this person based on their CV. But after several conversations, okay, fine, I find it a bit irritating the way that he eats, but everything else is really wonderful. So I'll, I'll put up with 
Um, but it, you go through a period of dating, you know, before mm. you decide. And it's exactly the same with the world of work. Even things like much more simple decisions, like what house you're going to buy. You know, there are relatively few variables. You've got price, you've got location. Um, but even with that, we like the reassurance of actually walking around the damn house and making sure that we like the road, we like the, we like the view, the sound, all of it. You need the sort of thing that you can't get from paper. So why we think people can make perfect decisions about what jobs they're going to do based on zero data other than a job spec, I mean, forget it. Yeah, I dislike job specs as well, actually, as, as it happens. But the, the we were talking about this yesterday. But I, I'm always saying, you know, recruitment's like dating. You have to sort of you have to kiss a few frogs to work out on both sides. You know, you 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 as an individual, you probably need you know five ten interviews with different companies to work out which one works best for you. The company the same. They need to meet five ten people before they decide which one they want to hire. And you're right, you know, the same thing around the house. I, I watched that uh, program with my wife, Location, Location, Location. If, if you're in the UK, you might have watched it. If you're not, you, you might be struggling. But the concept is that, you know, it's a house hunting program. And, you know, they, they sit down with the prospective buyers each time and, and they try and work out a list of what they really want. And at the end, the, the house is nothing like the, what they described. It's, it's something completely different which is yeah. often the case in the dating piece, isn't it? You know, I'm looking for somebody that's like this, but you actually marry the opposite of that. It, 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 is, it is incredibly hard to do that soul-searching piece and to know yourself well, isn't it? Which, is another, which I think brings us a bit round to the psychology again, because I've, I've often argued some of the value in the, in the behavioral and, and, and personality tests for individuals to do is to work out what they are, because it's a, it's, it's a sort of deep, not a deep dive, it's a dive into the subconscious. What, what do I really think of myself? You get asked a set of questions, it's you that's responding, you get this document back, and actually it tends to reflect relatively strongly who you are. Even if it doesn't totally, it helps you coalesce around some of those issues uh, and, and really think about them in a bit more detail. Is this what I'm all about? Am I a leader or am I a team player? You know, am I an entrepreneur, as I might want to be, or or in reality, actually, am I much more of a person that wants to be part of something that somebody else has created? It's 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 knowing yourself, isn't it? It's really important when you when you go into a recruitment process to know yourself because that's what the interview is trying to do. It's trying to find out who you are. Um, if you already have a really strong view of who you are, I think you can project that so much better. I think, yeah, I. I think any organisation that's going to invest it in that degree and, and sit down and give people the opportunity to go and do things like personality tests and debrief them um, mm. with people like you is, as I say, it's quite a luxurious, it's quite a luxurious thing to offer because it is quite a rewarding process. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, arguably speaking, it is a nice thing to do. Um, but I, I would still maintain that a much more effective way of giving people that level of insight is actually to make that insight more realistic, i.e. come into the actual office, look at the actual desk that you would be working at, come to a team drinks session. Mm. Um, the thing you were saying before about a case study, make them do a case study, give them an example of the actual work. There was um, an organization um, I heard speak, a woman who was on the board of a company called Vanarama, Mm. And this is, this is not the right level. This is not the level that you're talking at. This is kind of call center level. Mm. Um, but they were so fed up with the amount of people that were being recruited, but then were leaving two or three months later saying, this is really not what I had in mind. 
um, they just said, right, from now on, before anyone even applies, they've got to come in and shadow for a day. And as a result of that, they got far fewer applications, but the people that were applying at least knew what they were getting in for. And I think at a more senior level, when the costs involved are far higher, um, there seems to be very little rationale that I can understand that would say organisations shouldn't be providing more opportunities for people to, if you like, self-select. Mm. Um, I mean, I think organisations, certainly of the sort of size that you might be dealing with, um, probably have the resources, and it's certainly not the hardest thing in the world, to give people in those actual jobs, you know, chances just to chat to some of the people coming in. What's the job like? What's the reality? Is there a case study? Do a video, even a walk around of the building, meet mm. a few of the people in the team. You know, these are the sort of things that are certainly not beyond the wit of man. Um, where, I, where I think there's a lot of promise in, in the kind of future of selection and recruitment is I'm seeing quite a, quite a lot of investment and development actually in kind of virtual reality assessment. Mm. So people actually get to, I guess, experience the world, meet the people in the team, but do it from a kind of a virtual reality perspective, which I think has got real legs um, in terms of going forward. Yeah, I think the more people you can speak to in an organisation, the better. I, mean, I, I always argue, look, before you even go and meet a business or, or, or apply, um, and in apply, I don't mean apply online because I think that's a waste of time, but I, I mean, you know, use your network to, to, yeah. to get into a position where you're talking directly with a hiring manager. You need to have done some digging beforehand anyway. So if, if you can speak to three or four people and get the warts and all impression, they're people who actually work for the business and you still want to apply, that's a really that's a really good position to be in and, and genuinely get the, the, the warts and all. Um, and, and also actually in many of my recruitment processes now, I find that there is a case study element and that case study is presented not just to, to it's presented to a wider team, not just the decision makers, but actually the people that you would work with and even some people that would work for you yeah. so that, so that you can have, um, uh, the, the presentation is often a, a starting point for a discussion which leads yeah. to a real understanding of what your thinking is but also more reality about how they approach projects the problems that they've had as a company uh you get a, a deeper view on all of that and if, if if after that everybody's still on the same page then it's a great starting point but of course the, we, you and i both know there's no perfection in recruitment, is there? It's just, no. it's, a, it's a completely imperfect process. Yeah. Um, you know, it isn't long enough. It isn't, um, you know, demonstrative enough in order to actually let you know whether the person is right or the business is right for them. It, it, you, to some every extent, role is different. Every team yeah. is different. Every candidate is different. Every recruiter is different. You know, it is, it's trying to meld and mesh in together an incredible degree of complication it's mm. you know people can be can can be quite critical of the world of psychology and recruitment but mm. you know i mean you might be dealing with chem chemicals or you might be dealing with alloys or i don't know something easy and predictable you try yes. and predict a human in every single nuance and every single set come on yeah. really hard yeah. you know not a much harder job than half of the other ones well, I've always argued, yeah, in, in, rec in recruitment, what did, uh, you know, people think, oh, you're, you're selling, what did one person uh, use the terminology once? I think it was skin trader, which I found uh, particularly uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> repellent. <gosh. laughs> yeah, very repellent indeed. But basically say, look, you're, you, 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 you know, you're in the business of selling people. I said, well, that's certainly not the case. But, you know, if, if, you were, if I was, 
I'd have the only product that can say no at the end of the sales process when it's when you know you've played a blinder and everything's perfect because you are dealing with people after all, and yeah. they have um, you know concerns. Some of them are logical, others are illogical. It's uh, you, you've got that all of those variants in there. I definitely think you know these days with with sort of notice pe- not notice periods but uh, um, probationary periods. Um, there's there's a lot of opportunity there for companies to to decide that you're not the right person for them. Um, it's not often the candidate that decides to leave. I, I genuinely think you need to have a plan of action in those first 90 days to make sure that you integrate with the business because most businesses are not great at doing that. Um, yeah. and, and the more senior you, you are, the less likely you are going to have your hand held during that period. You'll be expected to have a plan and to and to you know make things happen yourself and integrate yourself rather than uh, than wait for somebody else to do it. hr will show you where your desk is and how to use your computer and what the processes and procedures are but they won't show you how to do your job and that's what you've got to get to grips with so that's that's another uh, important part of that um, you're absolutely right i mean there's yeah. some there's some really nice research probably the largest meta-analysis looking at the factors that most predict who's going to get promoted in an organization and it's not what degree you've got masters no. nothing like that it's down to how proactive you are and mm. the people who are most proactive the ones who are the ones who are going to make things happen um so i mean you're absolutely right yeah and it, it sort of leads into i guess you know back to your your brave start thing which i want you to, to get your your plug in for so so just tell us a little bit more about that because i think my 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 gist is there are you're you're sort of reaching out or or you're uh, you're able to speak to people who are perhaps looking to make a, a relatively big career change um into perhaps a new role maybe even a new business they're going to create themselves um, and you'll, you'll, you help facilitate that with a bit, bit of shadowing and some other things. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, is, that is what we do. I mean, I think our target market is more, particularly in this kind of COVID pandemic era, we mm. really want to help corporates who might need to lose significant numbers of employees because I think yeah. at the moment a lot of outplacement processes are, are fairly, it feels like the beige cardigan of the HR world that hasn't really moved on drastically in the last 20 years. Um, so that te- that that's who we're trying to support, and I think what we offer them is a really nice opportunity to explore different aspects of themselves. Because precisely what you were saying, people generally speaking not that well aware. Um, mm. You know, we will get we take people through a program, sort of eight weeks long, um, small groups of people, always online, always interactive, because people love meeting each other and they love networking. Um, and we get them to sort of think, well, what would be what would be your kind of top three or four roles that you think you'd like to explore? Um, we then set them up to go and have phone calls with those people, give them instructions around the sorts of questions they should ask, how competitive the market is, you know, the size of the market, the potential, how much earning capacity, and so on. Um, and after all those phone calls, they whittle down, you know, what's what's their most likely option, which is the one that excites them the most, and then that's the one that we line them up to go and shadow. So let's say someone says, out of all of the options. Um, actually, I'm, I'm most keen now on setting up my own business. Then we get to them to shadow probably one of the most successful people in the UK doing that. Because if we can give them the closest blueprint for success, stop all the wheel reinvention, get them to know, do I advertise in magazines? It's pay-per-click advertising. Whatever the lessons are, they have already been learned. And you can, get, you can accelerate there much quicker, much faster if someone has already done it and is doing it brilliantly. Because not, not only do you get all that kind of, you know, 
helpful, helpful, really genuinely constructive advice that is really confidence boosting. And what's really interesting is, you know, the sort of people who tend to leave a day like that, um, you know, you're getting people who go and shadow a day in an experience in a job that they've literally never done before. Now, if at the end of the day, they can turn around and say, I would never call myself an expert, but surprisingly enough, I do understand how that works. I've got confidence now in my business plan. I now know who some suppliers are that are trusted, reliable. You know, that kind of confidence to kind of encourage you to take those next steps is far more valuable than anything I'm actually aware is currently in the market. It sounds like a really good idea. What's the website? Bravestarts.com. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, I'm sure that will be... uh very helpful for some people who are looking to make those transitions and maybe even the companies that are going to, uh, you know, provide that opportunity to their outgoing staff. So uh, Lucy, look, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Really interesting conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. You're very welcome, Tony. Thank you for having me on. Well, I hope you'd agree. It was a fascinating conversation with Lucy uh, about psychology, about psychometric assessments in the recruitment process and about making career transitions. Um, If you are making a career transition at the moment, you might want to check out some of the free resources on my site, careermovesecrets.com. You will find on there, I think there's now three uh, free things. The first of which is a CV and resume masterclass, which will help you get your CV in shape. The second is a job search masterclass, which will help you really understand how you're going to find your next job. And the third thing is obviously this podcast, which you're already listening to. So uh, well done you. The fourth thing actually is the the premium course, which if you really want to be proactive, and as uh, Lucy rightly pointed out, it is the proactive people that uh, that move forward and get promoted and get hired, frankly, then you might want to consider taking my premium course, which at the moment is half price. It's, uh, it's $299 and there are sort of 20 secrets it takes you through. It, it's essentially a step-by-step course to help you get hired ahead of your competitors. So definitely check that out too. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, consider subscribing because there will be more Career Move Secret podcasts coming very soon.